Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job. And you can find out more by visiting their website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. Kristen Corey is the founder and producing artistic director, CEO of Gulf Shore Playhouse. We'll get an update from Kristen on what's happening with this terrific organization. Also visit with Megan Rose. She is the CEO of Better Together, a terrific organization, doing great things for people in need in the community. It is July the 19th, and on this day in 1799, during Napoleon Bonaparte's Egyptian campaign, a French soldier discovered a black basalt basalt, uh, slab inscribed with the ancient writing near the town of Rosetta, about 35 miles east of Alexandria. The irregularity-shaped stone contained fragments of passages written in three different scripts, Greek, Egyptian, hieroglyphics, and Egyptian demotic, The ancient Greek on the Rosetta Stone told archaeologists that it was inscribed by priests honoring the king of Egypt, Ptolemy V, in the 2nd century BC. More startlingly, the Greek passage announced that the three scripts were all of identical meaning. The artifact thus held the key to solving the riddle of hieroglyphics, a written language that had been dead for nearly 2,000 years. When Napoleon, on emperor known for his enlightened view of education, art, and culture, invaded Egypt in 1798, he took along a group of scholars and told them to seize all important cultural artifacts for France. Pierre Bouchard, one of French Napoleon's uh, soldiers, was aware of this order when he found the basalt stone and was almost four feet long and two and a half feet wide at a fort near Rosetta. When the British defeated Napoleon in 1801, they took possession of the Rosetta Stone. Several scholars, including English Englishman Thomas Young, made progress with the initial hieroglyphics analysis of the Rosetta Stone. French Egyptologist also, who had taught himself ancient languages, ultimately cracked the code and deciphered the hieroglyphics used for his uh, using his knowledge of Greek as a guide. Hieroglyphics used pictures to represent objects, sounds, and groups of sounds. Once the Rosetta Stone inscriptions were translated, the language and culture of Egypt was suddenly open to Sidus as never before. Today, the Rosetta Stone is housed in the British Museum in London, despite repeated calls for it to be returned to Egypt. You know, whoever won the war took the stone. It's how that <laughs> kind of worked out. But it's just an amazing artifact, and it really helped open up ancient uh, history. A Wisconsin representative on Friday said the 2020 election reviews being done in the state should be expanded into a full forensic audit following alleged irregularities being reviewed in Arizona and uh, Georgia. Uh, His name is Timothy Ramthun, a Republican formally requested a more comprehensive audit from former state Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman who is leading a conducting a review of the election as the, at the behest of the Wisconsin Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, along with retired police officers and a legislative audit bureau, which lawmakers authorized earlier this year to investigate the election. Voss and the audit bureau did not immediately respond to the request or for comment. 
Ramthan is pushing for the forensic audit after reviewing recent released information from two counties. An election integrity group presented ballot images this week that show that there's provable fraud occurred in 2020 hand count audit in Fulton County, Georgia. Additionally, the county double scanned nearly 200 ballots. Auditors uh, conducting a forensic audit in Arizona's largest county, meanwhile, said during a hearing on Thursday that they had uncovered major concerns about some 100,000 ballots. The audit, <clears throat> the auditors are seeking more items, including Splunk logs from Maricone County officials who vigorously contest the irregularity claims. It is vital to our democratic process that the Wisconsin legislature acknowledges the alarming information that threatens the very fabric of our society. So this is kind of how this is working right now. We're having a lot of resistance from Democrats who say there is nothing, there's nothing here. You don't need to look. And of course, uh, many people are pursuing audits now in Wisconsin in Georgia, in uh, uh, Arizona, and perhaps coming up in Michigan as well, and of, and of course Pennsylvania. So we'll see how this all turns out. It's getting very interesting, and it's very tense for the Democrats. Dr. Robert Malone, a pioneer in the field of mRNA vaccines, shared a viral Twitter a thread on Friday, which lays out the disturbing trend. The most Vaccinated countries in the world are experiencing a surge in COVID-19 cases, while the least vaccinated countries are not. Uh, Robert Malone is a big deal. Do I recall he was once the uh, with uh, Pfizer? In any event, this is worrying me quite a bit, he tweeted, embedding the larger thread uh, authored by Twitter used... the fact of the matter is, there's, uh, it's, I, I can't go through all the, the entire thread of the Twitter, but here are a couple of tidbits. Tiny Gibraltar, which claims to have double-jabbed all of its citizens. Uh, why do cases suddenly rise through the roof? Yes, it's residents, not its tourists we're talking about. Emirates, highly vaccination, highest vaccination rate in the world. They just experienced their second highest peak since the pandemic began. Cyprus. Majority of its people vaccinated, highest case count in the world. But what about the 100% vaccination rate? Here you go. 1,600 double-jabbed British soldiers on the HMS Queen Elizabeth. They even had hygiene rules like distancing and uh, that kind of thing. They waited two months after uh, they got the uh, vaccine. And one in 16, the higher case rate than any other country, turns out to be infected on the ship with uh, no other interventions coming aboard, uh, one in 16 of the uh, soldiers was uh, infected with the uh, virus. Something's really wrong here. According to the CDC's Vaccine Adverse Reactions Portal, there have been 4,006 deaths following COVID-19 vaccinations reported between June 26th and July the 9th. Not a long period of time, but it's a lot of deaths, 4,000. During the same period, the CDC showed 3,114 deaths attributed to COVID-19. That means there have been over 20%, 28% more vaccine-related deaths than COVID-related deaths during the two-week period. Disturbing, isn't it? I hope they look into this further. One of the greatest things about America's 50-state federal system is that people can vote with their feet in response to different policies. In that sense, California just lost yet another foot vote 
referendum. The Walt Disney Company is the latest business to plan to move some of its operations out of California in favor of lower-taxed states. Disney will move about 2,000 jobs from its California headquarters to its new campus in Florida. In a letter to employees, Disney executive uh, Josh Diamaro explained that the decision to relocate jobs is in part due to Florida's business-friendly climate. Florida is known for its rich culture of hospitality and active lifestyle, as well as a lower cost of living with no state income tax, Diamaro said. And while this decision reportedly made before COVID-19, Disney did uh, criticize the heavy-handed way California's state government approached the pandemic with strict shutdowns its executives blasted as arbitrary. So Disney, 2,000 employees coming to Florida, people vote with their feet. And uh, that's why states really, they're uh, petri dishes for democracy. And clearly those with lower taxes and greater freedom are winning. That would include Florida, of course. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis traveled to Tampa on Sunday to deliver a speech at Turning Point USA's Student Action Summit, where he said sales for his Don't Fauci My Florida merchandise are, quote-unquote, through the roof. Uh, Let me just give you a personal welcome to the free state of Florida, DeSantis said to the crowd of young conservatives. Here in Florida, we believe in lifting people up, not locking people down. We believe in the right of kids to get an in-person education and the right of people to earn a living, the right of people to maintain their businesses. Florida chooses freedom over Fauciism, he said. Last week, DeSantis began selling branded merchandise featuring slogans like Don't Fauci My Florida in an effort to push back against the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases head Dr. Anthony Fauci, a move for which the media elite criticized him severely. DeSantis' campaign store features T-shirts and koozies along with slogan Don't Fauci My Florida and one koozie with the message How the hell am I going to be able to drink a beer with a mask on? DeSantis brought up the uh, Fauci merchandise initiative, telling those in attendance that he's selling the merchandise because people are getting Fauci'd. It's a great story. Ron DeSantis, great governor, doing a terrific job. Finally, on uh, Saturday's broadcast of uh, Fox News Channel's Fox & Friends, Senator Rick Scott, our own Senator Rick Scott, former governor here, argued that if the Cuban people get Internet access back, the Castro regime is done. Scott said President Joe Biden must find out how to get internet down there. Now, I've been calling, and if if he can't figure it out, we're going to figure it out. But if they can get internet, he says the the, uh, communist regime is done. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Coming up... We're going to be visiting uh, with Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lula Bee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. 
Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by going to choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Kristen Corey, the founder and producing artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse. Right now we have with us Mark Shulman. Mark is an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So, again, uh, we'll start the, the show on Monday with uh, talking about current global events and some interesting and disturbing developments with covid Absolutely, Bob. The Delta variant seems to have taken over much of the world at this point, and it's causing a lot of difficulties. In places where people are not vaccinated, it's just running rapid because um, the sense is that it's uh, at least twice, if not three times, as infectious as the original COVID, uh, COVID uh, virus, and it also seems to be deadlier and uh, seriously hospitalizing and killing more people. Um, it's strong enough that it manages to break through some of the vaccinated people, uh, but the vaccination still seems to protect in 60 to 70 percent of the cases and about 90 percent of the cases of serious illness. Uh, so the vaccines are the still by far the best thing to do to stop it, but they alone do not seem to be able to stop it because it is such a virulent uh, strain of the virus and it's taken over everywhere in the world at this point. So we're seeing numbers increase throughout the globe at this point. Places that didn't have it the first time are getting it now. Uh, Europe numbers are going back up, and in the United States, too, numbers have doubled in the last in the last week, especially in that, those parts of the country where the, the vaccination rates have been low, 
um, those are being hit the hardest, of course. So um, it's it's very serious. Um, it's you know the question of whether this thing is behind us. It certainly is not at this point. Mm-hmm. The, the Great Britain right now is doing something that's a bit strange. Almost like I almost say that that because the government announced a month ago or two months ago before the Delta variant had struck that this date was going to be the date they were going to eliminate all restrictions. They're going ahead as of this morning and eliminated all COVID restrictions. A thousand British scientists have written a petition, petition to the government asking them not to do this because it goes against everything science knows. But they're doing it anyway, and cases in, in Great Britain have been going up quite steadily in the last uh, three weeks as the Delta variant has taken over there as well. Uh, so, do I recall riots and, and uh, protests in in Paris and France? Uh, there were Paris and there were riots and protests in Paris <clears throat> against restrict COVID restrictions or against uh, requiring COVID vaccinations. Um, I've never understood this. I still don't understand it. I think that anyone who thinks I understand the individual's decision not to get vaccinated, although I think it goes against everything we know about science. I do not understand the movements against vaccination. I've spoken to many anti-vaxxers, and to be honest with you, they make no sense to me at all. Mm. They're full of all sorts of crazy theories about everything from Microsoft or Bill Gates putting in transmissions to the fact that COVID (laughs) doesn't exist. None of it makes any sense. We have vaccinations against all sorts of illnesses. The most effective, the reason we all live as long as we do today or we live as long as we do when we're born, the life expectancy in all of the Western world is as long as it is today. It's 90% or 80% due to vaccinations and 20% due to um, our ability to, to, you know, anti-infections to deal with um, infections. So uh, it's going back in history for no reason whatsoever. Well, a lot of folks are skeptical, of course, because uh, who do you trust these days? I mean, it seems like the CDC uh, and uh, Dr. Fauci seem to be changing their minds all the time. No, that's just a nonsense. (laughs) That's a line of, you know, who do we trust? Science changes. That's the whole point of science is new information. And there's an awful lot of things we don't understand about COVID, and we still don't understand. And it's it's scary, the fact we don't understand things. And I can give you a whole bunch of questions that no one has been able to answer. Yeah. But on the other hand, they're our best bet. And what what the current knowledge at a particular moment is, that is the best bet. And uh, there is no excuse for not taking the vaccine. That, that's the bottom line. There is no... Uh, because... The only way you reach anything close to herd immunity is if everybody takes the vaccine or as many people as do do as do. So if you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting the community when you don't take it. But leave that part aside. The logic of not taking it, there have been such incredibly small percentage of cases of people who've had a reaction to the vaccine. I mean, we're talking at this point about billions of doses of vaccine have been given out around the world. Yeah. And, and the number of bad cases is, is, you know, a handful, literally. So uh, there, there is no excuse because it's the best thing we have. It's not perfect, obviously, and uh, we all wish it was a perfect solution. It's not, but the fact of the matter is, it's the best thing we have. And uh, there's just so much falsehoods out there. You know, it doesn't it, it doesn't make any sense. The, the the falsehoods are just not based on science. And you know, we science is not a perfect thing like anything else. It's only based on the information that's particular scientists have at a particular moment. Yeah. But by and large, they're the, they're the truth seekers in, in, in our civilization, and they always have been. Well, 
have. That's let's have. A, I know you're in a disagree, but I'm sorry. Yeah, I really you know, I, I, forget I, politics. I feel very strongly about this. I don't think it's a political issue. It only the only place it's really become a political issue is the United States, which makes zero sense. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I guess I guess uh, what, what I'd like to is just acknowledge your point and certainly understand it. But my point is it's an individual decision, and as I started out saying, I, I, you know, I'm skeptical. I'm just very skeptical. I'm skeptical of pharmaceutical companies. I just I just don't know who to trust, quite frankly. So I, I, I mean, just because it's, it's it's fair to be skeptical of a lot of things, but again, when billions of people have taken it and the numbers are in in terms of the fact that it works, not perfectly, but it works. Then you know there's a point where you know look the first few weeks and listen I was the one who was not skeptical I took it I was one of the first people in the world to get the vaccine literally uh-huh. um, but okay that required the leap of faith and science but you know we we reached a point where six nine months in when literally billions of doses have been administered around the world yeah and so. It's no longer a question of skepticism. It's just looking at the numbers, and the numbers say give the answer. Yeah, at this point. So what? Right now, we've had a, a what's morphed into something with no audience at all is going to be the Olympics. Uh, any thoughts about that? Yeah, look, it's gotten worse in the last couple of de- in the last two days, uh, or even last day, because uh, there've been a number of cases now found amongst the Olympic uh, participants. Right. And it's very hard. You know, you put a lot of people together in a, in a small area, and you're going to get infections. So it's going to be a sad Olympics, I'm afraid. You're going to see, I, I forgot her name, but the, the American tennis star um, had to pull out of the Olympics today because she tested positive for COVID. Yeah. And um, we're going to see a lot of that in the next 24, 48 hours. We, there was a poll taken in Japan yesterday and 70% of the Japanese people do not believe the Olympics can be done safely at this point. Yeah. So it's it's going to be sad, another sad Olympic place. I mean, it was postponed from last year. Um, you know, the world has... We'd, we'd like to believe everything is good and well, but unfortunately, Mother Nature here, when it comes to COVID, or whatever, whatever caused COVID, is, is not playing along with our plans. It's true. And uh, there may have been some human influence in that... <laughs> Of course. So uh, let's let's move to what's happening in uh, in Europe. This tragic flooding that's going on in Belgium and uh, Germany. Right, once in a hundred year flood, so to speak. And it's actually once in a thousand year. They've never seen a flood quite like it. Um, and you know, it was just like the rained and rained and rained for for three days. The amount of rain they usually get in three months, and so you end up with this tremendous amount of flooding. Look, you know, it's obviously, we, we've had this, look what's going on in the west of the United States right now. We have, very early in the year, some large wildfires that are out of control, and we have temperatures in the Arctic are 100 degrees. So a lot of things are happening simultaneously in the world, and um, my fear is that what we talked about would happen over 100 years is happening much more, much quicker, and we're reaching a tipping point, and it's time to start thinking about mitigation and not so much how we can cut our carbon. I mean, I'm not against cutting our carbon footprint, don't get me wrong, but my fear is it's even it's too late at this point. And that even changes we make now, by the time it have an effect, uh, things may be wildly out of control. And we need to 
start planning for, for what we do about that. Well, I think, uh, what I, and I would be in definite agreement with this, if your point is that we should be addressing real problems with the environment and not uh, chasing down Green New Deal, that kind of stuff, which is basically uh, based on a premise and a, based on a, that uh, has, is not proven yet. So, Well, okay, we, let's talk about what's proven and what's not proven. What's proven is the world is getting warmer. That there's no question. The world is getting warmer. The last five years have been the five hottest years in in recorded world history, and of course we've had these really odd sort of things, like like I said, 100 degree weather in the Arctic Circle in Siberia, and of course we have you know the heat wave we had in the West Coast of the United States this past week, which again was record record setting. Mm-hmm. One one weather event or one high temperature does not make a trend because, as we know, weather is unpredictable and changes. Right. However, five years' worth of, of hot weather does make a trend. And the last two or three years of extreme weather events is also a trend. So um, you can argue whether... Um, you can argue back and forth whether it's the carbon that's causing the, the Earth to warm or not. That's a secondary question. The, the, the clear question is, the Earth is warming, so uh, and the Earth is not is warming by all accounts by the course by the result of human uh, human activity, and but the bigger question now is, uh, let's for the sake of argument uh, say we all agreed on the Green New Deal. I'm not suggesting we do, but I'm just, just for the sake of argument, I assume we did. My feeling is it'll be too late at this point unless we come up with some other plans on how to address the the warming of the Earth. Yeah. Um, so a lot of environmentalists against that because they fear that we won't deal with things like like uh, carbon and all those other things. Yeah. So, uh, Mark, uh, just a little perspective. Uh, uh, Washington, George Washington, crossed uh, the uh, Delaware uh, when uh, it, at, at the end of the Little Ice Age. I mean, it was one of the coldest periods, you know, s- since the Ice Age, and now it has been generally generally warming since that period of time. And uh, so, you know, in the broader perspective, you know, 15, 20,000 years ago, we were uh, probably covered with a sheet of ice uh, at the end of the Ice Age, and it, the probability is high that we'll probably end up in another Ice Age in another 15,000 years. So, <clears throat> in a very broad sense, uh, that's what the Earth does. And, and we could have six feet of our, six miles of ice over <laughs> our heads in 15,000 years. Well, you know, again, those are ways of trying to um, not discuss the immediate future and what's going to happen if if the current trends continue. You can make an argument that it's the nature of the Earth making those changes, um, but by all all accounts, um, since the mid nineteenth century, man has had an impact, yeah, and an increased impact, right, on the environment. Now, again. One can argue back and forth whether things like the new the Green New Deal or those sort of things are the solutions. Um, and I don't think it's all, I mean, that's an interesting political discussion and yeah. economic discussion and all those type of things. But the reality is what one can't argue with is, A, that the globe is warming, and B, that the effects are starting to be felt um, by people in in various ways, and that if the current trends continue... The situation is going to get considerably worse. Right, and but I think what you're suggesting is practical solutions. Like if we're in fact experiencing flooding, we should take a look at what we can do to prevent flooding or to somehow uh, mitigate flooding and and its effect on 
on our lives. So, uh, but to somehow change nature, I don't think it's just crazy. So let's let's move to uh, Afghanistan. Okay, so the, the administration announced, um, <clears throat> but I think it's of course the proper course in terms of evacuating all of the translators and other people that are working with us, worked yeah. with us over the years. I think 5,000 are going to be evacuated directly to the United States and another 25,000 to some um, either third country or U.S. territories abroad while their visa, visa application can be processed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the moral responsibility that I think we have and, you know, that I think there's no, no choice about. Again, uh, you know, I come back to the discussion we've been having over the last two years or three years even of, you know, my very mixed feelings about what we're doing in Afghanistan. Pulling out seems terrible. Staying seems terrible. So, you know, let's understand the fact that when we pull out bad things are going to happen to the Afghan people. Right. Um, if we don't want bad things to the Af- to happen to the Afghan people, we have to be willing to keep 20, 25,000 U.S. troops in Afghanistan for unknown period of time. So, you know, no, again, no one's had that discussion with the American people and say, okay, if we pull out, uh, Afghan women are going to be once again enslaved and, you know, people are going to be beheaded and all the terrible things that are going to happen if the Taliban come back into power. The quest to make sure that doesn't happen is whatever it costs for us to maintain 25,000 troops in Afghanistan for an indefinite period of time, and all that means in terms of the armed forces, both financially and in terms of manpower. Yeah, American people, what do you want? No, we don't discuss that. So uh, what about the dust-up between Pakistan and the Taliban at this point? Look, you know, the, the, the Pakistan, and it's also keeping the Taliban and the Iranians, is another interesting point. Everybody was sort of, and the Russians, everybody was very happy with the sort of um, balance of power, so to speak, in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. But now with Taliban looking like they're about to seize most of the country, suddenly that upsets this balance where, which was keeping everybody weak. So we'll, we'll see what the results will be in the next, um, next six months. Um, they, you know, different countries are going to react in different ways, but... Uh, you know, again, uh, my biggest concern is not that. My concern is to the, the Afghani women and others who are, who are going to suffer terribly. But, you know, I don't know that we're willing to pay that price. So right. back, back back to the problem, right? Right. That's the Haiti problem. It's the all kinds of problems that we have around the world. Right. I mean, what should the role of the United States be in the world? We are the, we are the strongest power, both militarily, economically, and we are the ones there since World War II that have maintained... Um, maintain peace in the world to a very large extent, just as the United Nations and everything else, but we've always been the power of last resort. Yeah. Do we want to continue that? Do we want to give up that role? Uh, what is the cost of continuing that? What is the cost of giving up that role? Uh, those are the questions. Yeah. Um, they're serious questions. They're, <laughs> not, uh, they're not Democratic versus Republican. They're not you know, a, a one-minute soundbite. They're serious, deep questions that, that need to be discussed at that sort of level. Right, and the, some of the predicate discussions need to be around whether we're uh, globalists between and, and the nationalist movements. I mean, those are serious differences among people as well. So uh, I think based on people... And how that's a, those are slogans in a sort of way. In other words, what does that mean to be a globalist <coughs> or a nationalist? That's a slogan. The question is, what do we want the role of the United States to be in, in this world? Now, you could say that turns you into a globalist. I don't know, maybe. But 
Um, no, I'm not, not suggesting. Sure. I'm not suggesting that at all. What I'm suggesting is that uh, s- some people are very committed to having a global, uh, a reset, uh, uh, a reset of the of, of the globe, and a new way of uh, uh, replacing capitalism and that kind of thing. So just have one government, a national, a world government, as opposed uh, yeah, to yeah. Okay, that that, that was those, those are hopes of people 40, 30 years ago. I think everyone's given up on that idea at this point. The world has gone 100 percent in the other direction. I don't think. You know, that may have been the, the dreams of people of the United Nations someday, but I, there are very few people in the world today of any seriousness that are the dream of that happening any time in anyone's foreseeable lifetime. Hmm. I'm hearing uh, a, lot of, a lot of that out of uh, the World Economic Forum and uh, what's going on in Davos and that kind of thing. Uh, I, don't, I think you're, up, uh, I, I think you're um, giving that too much credit in terms of what they're actually talking about. It's mostly a smooth session for rich people to get together and exchange ideas yeah. and have some fun. And you know, I, I I don't see it in the same sort of way. Let's put it that way. And, and I certainly don't see any serious politicians slash serious um, world thinkers, academicians, or anybody else uh, expecting or looking to eliminate national borders anytime at any point in the, in the foreseeable future. If anything, look what happened to the EU is. Uh, a point of of warning that that's not about to happen anytime soon. Right. Well, from your lips no. to God's ear, uh, Mark. So, uh, before I let you go, uh, any comments on China and uh, what's happening with the si- semiconductor industry? It's very interesting. I mean, the the, um, the Chinese were hoping to compete with the United States and other countries by building a, a strong semiconductor industry that would be competitive. And at the moment, their largest companies, they... they put billions of dollars to us on the verge of declaring bankruptcy. Huh. They have not succeeded. Huh. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. The Chinese have, have done tremendously well economically when it comes to second-level technologies. But when it comes to the highest-level technology, up to now they have not succeeded in competing with what, uh, what some of the top American companies are doing. Yeah, ergo, they're interested in Taiwan, apparently, because Taiwan is a big... Absolutely, but, right, but even Taiwan, the, the Taiwanese are, um, have a very high level of technology in terms of, you know, a lot of our chips are actually made there, but the designs don't take place in Taiwan. Uh-huh. Designs are taking place mostly in the United States, a little bit in Israel. They're not taking place in Taiwan. Interesting. And they're certainly not taking place in China. So, yes, the Chinese, the Taiwanese have some very... Ex- expensive and efficient manufacturing facilities, but they're not doing the designing, and actually the designing is where the real power lies. Got it. Mark, you know, as usual, we've run out of uh, time before we've run out of information and things to discuss, but this has been a terrific uh, interview and uh, discussion. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob, you and all your listeners. You as well. Thank you, Mark. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Kristen Corey, producing artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, that and more. Right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden (coughs) Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting (coughs) Network. (laughs) 
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. <coughs> Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual <coughs> and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. I proudly served on the board for 15 years of Golf Shore Playhouse. And uh, I was planning to have Kristen Corey on the phone. <laughs> I, I've somehow, uh, screwed up her phone number and uh, I didn't get through to her. So. My fault, uh, Kristen, if you're listening, uh, please call in and uh, let's have our interview. But in any event, I wasn't, I was uh, unprepared. So, <laughs> kind of crazy. Anyhow, go to golfshoreplayhouse.org, golfshoreplayhouse.org. <clears throat> well, on uh, Sunday, President Joe Biden responded to a Friday court decision that effectively discontinued the DACA program, saying it was deeply disappointing. DACA stands for Deferred Action for Children Arrivals, a program implemented under the Obama administration back in 2012. Under the program, children and young adults under the age of 25 who came to the country as minors were granted immunity from deportation and work permits in order to legally reside and work within the United States territory. Approximately 700,000 are estimated to have been granted protection under the program, and hundreds of thousands more are deemed ineligible. Yesterday's federal court ruling is deeply disappointing, this according to uh, Joe Biden. While the court's order does not affect current DACA recipients, this decision nonetheless relegates hundreds of thousands of young immigrants to an uncertain future, said Biden. <clears throat> according to Fox News, presiding Judge Hannon, a split ruling found that the Department of Homeland Security violated the Administrative Procedures Act in uh, creating policy 
Hannon found that the policy was implemented unlawfully and ordered uh, the Department of Homeland Security to stop approving DACA applications, although he said it could continue to accept applications. The ruling does not affect the status of any current DACA recipients. DACA would grant lawful presence and uh, world authorization to over a million people for whom Congress and made no provision and has consistently refused to make such a provision. <clears throat> Hannon said in his uh, legal opinion, the Biden administration plans to appeal the decision. Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Depart Ho Department of Homeland Security, says via press statement, I am disappointed by yesterday's ruling and its impact on families across the country, but it will not derail our efforts to protect DREAMers, a term used for DACA benefit recipients. The Biden administration and this country remain as committed as ever to ensuring that DREAMers are protected from a threat of deportation and are allowed to continue to contribute to this country and their home, he said. <clears throat> it would be so refreshing if the president and his administration took as much interest in the uh, current American citizens as he does in uh, people coming across the border. Well, in the 1960s, the sugar industry fun funded research that downplayed the risks of sugar and highlighted the hazards of fat, according to a newly published article in uh, the uh, Journal of American Medicine, Internal Medicine. This is a very disturbing uh, story. Uh, because this should, just shows how information can be manipulated. Uh, because if you, have you ever, you go to the store and you find non-fat this and non-fat that, and all of us are trying to avoid fat. Well, the article it draws on internal documents that show an industry group called the Sugar Research Foundation wanted to refute concerns about sugar's possible role in heart disease. The Sugar uh, <clears throat> Research Foundation then sponsored research by Harvard scientists that did just that. The result was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 1967 with no disclosure of the sugar industry finding. The sugar-funded uh, project in question was a literature review examining a, uh, a variety of studies and experiments. It suggested there were major problems with all the studies that impacted implicated sugar and concluded that cutting fat out of American diets was the best way to address coronary heart disease. Well, the authors of the uh, new article say that for the past five decades, the sugar industry has been attempting to influence the scientific debate over the relative risks of sugar and fat. It was a very smart thing that the industry, sugar industry did because review papers, especially if you get them published in a very prominent journal, tend to shape the overall scientific discussion. That according to co-author Stanton Glantz. Uh, in the article, published Monday, authors uh, Glantz, Kristen Kearns, and Laura Schmidt aren't asked trying to make the case for a link between sugar and coronary disease. Their interest is in the process. They say that documents reveal that sugar industry attempts to influence scientific inquiry and debate. Uh, the researchers note that they were worked under some limitations. We could not interview key factors involved in the historical episode because they have died, they write. One organizations, other organizations were also advocating concerns about fat, they note. There's no evidence that the SRF, the sugar research uh, industry, uh, directly edited the manuscript published by the Harvard scientists in 1967, but there is circumstantial evidence that the interests of the sugar lobby shaped the conclusions of the review, the researchers say. For one thing, there's motivation and intent. In 1954, the, uh, let's see if this is Kristen here. Kristen, is that you? 
It is. That's <laughs> Chris. I'm so sorry. Can you believe after all these years, I forgot your phone <laughs> number? <laughs> but you're on. <laughs> you're on air right now. So thank you so much for joining us. You are so welcome. I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you, Kristen. Well, so much has been going on for Gulf Shore Play with Gulf Shore Playhouse. Uh, and uh, right now, uh, you're building a new performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's also very exciting. Why don't you just bring us up to date, on, uh, because we just have a few minutes here left in the time. We're going to have you back. But uh, So what would you like us to know? Well, it's all very exciting. We've got um, our usual season planned after a year of very um, spotty offerings due to the pandemic, but we still did have a season last year. We were one of only 17 theaters in the whole country that were approved by the National Actors Union to um, actually produce safely throughout the pandemic. So that was a thrill. But we're happy to have our children back on stage this summer. Uh, We just finished our Jeannie B. Jones production for our younger kids, and we're right now in rehearsals for Grease with our fantastic teenagers. So if you'd like to come see a musical, come see our kids in Greece um, in the beginning of August, um, the 5th, 6th, and 7th. And then, um, like I said, we've got our professional season planned, but the, the exciting news is that we'll be breaking ground in October. Isn't that exciting? That is really amazing. I must, uh, uh, full disclosure, I was a uh, board chairman for 15 years ago, Offshore Playhouse, and certainly enjoyed working with you, Kristen, all those years. But uh, when we started, I mean, this was just an idea, and uh, not, we've grown a brand, we've created terrific theater, and, and also now opening this, what is going to be about 44,000 square feet uh, performing arts center, uh, it's going to just have everything. Yes, it's thrilling, and Bob, we would not be where we are today if it weren't for you, and I'm just so grateful to all your support for all of those years. And um, yeah, it's just thrilling. We're at about 50. Five million out of a sixty million dollar campaign right now. We've got still five million to go, but we have enough to break ground. Um, we received our our construction loan from First Horizon Bank, so we're we're delighted about that as well. So we can start with confidence. And um, so, like I said, we start on October one. We anticipate being done uh, in the fall of twenty twenty three and ready to ready to open to a brand new season. Like you said, forty five thousand square feet. So we'll have two spaces. Um, engagement spaces, rental spaces, a whole education wing as well. So it's really going to be an incredible cultural center and a big change to downtown Naples. As uh, Additionally, we've given our extra our parking acre to the city of Naples, so they're going to actually build a public parking garage upon it. So the the people that, that come to see the show, plus all the, the vendors that, that fill in around First Avenue and Baker Park, et cetera, will have places to park. So it's it's a really exciting time. It is indeed. Kristen, I want to expand the conversation with you sometime. <laughs> I'd be better prepared next time with your phone number. But so, uh, but anyway, I just genuinely appreciate you taking time from your schedule to spend time with us, Kristen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. I'll talk to you soon. All Take right. good care. Okay, you, you as well. GulfShorePlayhouse.org is the website. GulfShorePlayhouse.org. Okay, coming up, Megan Rose. Megan is the CEO of Better Together, terrific organization. Uh, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Megan Rose. She is the CEO of Better Together, terrific organization. Megan, thank you so much for joining us. Megan, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. It's great to be on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Megan. So uh, tell us about Better Together. Um, Better Together is a privately funded nonprofit that has a goal of coming alongside families that are going through a crisis um, and helping them stay out of the foster care system. Um, and we do that through two programs. We have a um, our Better Families program, which helps care for children short-term while parents are going through a crisis. So it might be seeking treatment for addiction. It might be homelessness, um, and then we have another program called Better Jobs, where we work with churches across the country to help people get connected to employment. To a very successful programs as well. And uh, you've told stories, and uh, tell me if I'm off base here, but I probably should let you tell the story, but of people who've looked for a job for years just haven't been able to make a connection. And what you do is you mentor these people. In other words, teach them how to look in the eye, how to have a handshake, how to have a successful interview, you know, actually support them through the process of going through a job fair and with tremendous success. Yes, so it can be really hard in today's age to be able to get connected to employment opportunities. A lot of people get their jobs due to networking or who they know. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have those connections and you're just filling, on, filling out online applications, um, you get a lot of rejection. And then you start to lose confidence and you start forgetting that you have God-given potential and something really valuable you can offer an employer. So we work with um, 
job seekers and we remind them of their confidence. We remind them of their potential and we help them with just the basics, um, how to connect with a hiring manager, how to follow up, how to write a resume. You know, a lot of these things that we were taught um, either by our parents or growing up or we had a mentor, a lot of families just don't have that person who can really help them and support them. And we really just humanize the whole job seeking process. Yeah. Because um, it can be really difficult. We've had people, I remember one guy at our last job fair, he was rejected 152 times. Hmm. So he just gave up. He stopped looking. And so we created this environment where it was really easy for him to go ahead and start re-entering the workforce and get out there. Because that's the hardest part is getting back out there. Sure is. And uh, just uh, this is all work to, you don't have paid employees doing this. You have faith-based volunteers uh, who, for example, at different churches will commit to the program and uh, provide this mentoring process for individuals. Yeah, it's really incredible, Bob. We have hundreds of volunteers in the Southwest Florida community and beyond. And our churches, they put these job fairs together and they'll mentor job seekers or anybody in the community that's struggling and just isolated and needs a friend and needs some guidance. Um, And they do this, you know, they're not paid. They do this um, out of the goodness of their hearts and because they want to give back and they want to make our communities a better place. Uh, remarkable, remarkable work. I, I also want to make sure we touch on the uh, foster care, the work that you're doing in families in crisis and taking care of kids. Maybe you could tell us about that. Yes, this program um, is very innovative, very different, and there's no one like it um, here in the state. And so we um, give parents, it's voluntary. So, yeah, I'm a mom, I have three kids, and it can be really hard, and I have a support system. And if my husband and I had a medical emergency or we were facing a hardship, we have people that we could call who could help us care for our children and help support us. Um, And so there's a lot of people in the community that just don't have a single person that they can call. And that's where you see the bad headlines, where the single mom leaves the child with the babysitter that they don't know, the boyfriend, the neighbor, and a child gets hurt. So we give parents better choices. So if they are struggling, they need somebody to care for their children, they want to make good decisions to better themselves, better their situation, maybe go back to school, get healthy, get treatment, whatever it is, we'll connect them to a vetted um, host family that will care for their child in their home and then mentor them and help them put the pieces of their life back together. So we're really helping keep these kids safe out of foster care, but really caring for the whole family. Um, And we've been able to keep over 3,200 kids out of the foster care system in Southwest Florida with a 98% success rate, all through volunteers um, who are not paid, who are generously just caring for these children and these families. Well, just remarkable indeed. And, and just a point here is that once you become enmeshed in the foster care system, not to, de- to demean it, but uh, once you get in it, it's hard to get out. And uh, sometimes uh, help is not helpful coming from foster care. So what I, and, and the in juxtaposition of that, of course, is your program, which not only provides care, keeping the kids safe and uh, and uh, giving them a good environment while they're going through that crisis, but also helping the family, mentoring them, giving them, you know, being a source of advice, concern and love, quite frankly, which uh, you're not going to get through the foster care program. No, I used to work in the foster care system 
And it's broken. It's overwhelmed. And government's really good at tearing families apart, but really struggles at putting them back together. And we have seen firsthand a lot of the families we're working with um, actually were a product of the foster care system. They aged out of the foster care system. Um, they don't have family. They've experienced a lot of trauma. Um, and a lot of these families, it's not what got them removed from their parents. It's the trauma and abuse that they that occurred inside the foster care system. Yeah. So it's broken, and we're trying to put it out of business as best as we can. Well, God bless you. I uh, had a guest on my show that wrote a book called Three Little Words. I don't know if you've heard of that book, but it was about a woman who, uh, she and her brother were in foster care, and the trauma and the, the terrible things that happened when she was in foster care. But uh, it's just remarkable. So uh, we have listeners, I'm sure, who are very intrigued, would perhaps like to help. How can we find out more? What can we do to help? Um, we would love people to get involved. We're always looking for volunteers and more churches and um, people to come alongside and support us in this mission. Um, they can go to our website, www.bettertogetherus.org. Um, and it really doesn't take a lot of time to make a big difference in the life of somebody in our community that's struggling. So I would encourage people to go to our website, learn more, and if they're interested and intrigued just a bit, sign up, and we'd love to share more. Uh, BetterTogetherUS.org is the website. Yeah, BetterTogetherUS. Uh, BetterTogetherUS.org is the website. So, Megan, before I let you go, uh, how many children have you taken into your home aside from your own? Um, we have taken in 19 children over the past five years. Wow. Um, and what's really great is we still have a relationship with every single parent, and all of them are doing incredibly well. So it's been exciting to see just the transformation um, and the progress they've made in their own lives and to be able to be a part of that. So exciting. Megan Rose, again, you are a true saint. I just really appreciate it. And, you've, and your organization's only been around for how long? Um, we just celebrated our five-year birthday. Isn't that fantastic? 3,200 kids kept out of foster care. Just incredible results. Again, Megan, just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's always a joy. Thank you so much. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had a good time. <laughs> a lot of excitement. With I can't believe I didn't remember Kristen Corey's phone number. Anyhow, uh, I hope you join us on Tuesday, tomorrow. We're going to be visiting uh, with uh, Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator, will be joining us. We'll visit with Boo Mortensen up in Madison, Wisconsin. We'll find out what's new with Boo. Uh, Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. He'll be joining us as well as my wife, Linda, who writes Greetings from Paradise. Uh, always appreciate her points of view as well. Uh, always appreciate hearing from you. If you have uh, uh, comments that you'd like to send, you can send them to me at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.